welcome to um, Iowa City City Council formal meeting on October 20th, 2020. We're so happy um, to have this opportunity to come to you all by Zoom. Um, for those that are in um, either a guest that is attending, uh, I'm going to just give you a little um, house rules about how Zoom operates when it comes down to our community opportunities for people to speak to council. Um, you'll raise your hand and I'll call upon you. And um, if you're on the phone, we will have you press star nine and then I will call and have you identify yourself. So we do ask that everyone give their first and last name when they uh, do comment. All right, we're gonna start out with item, uh, we're gonna start out with roll call, please. Fergus? Here. Mims? Here. Salim? Here. Taylor? Here. Teague? Here. Thomas? Here. Weiner? Here. All right, well, everybody is here, so very grateful. Um, and again, welcome. All right, so the moving on to item number two, two A is Careers in Construction Month. Whereas Careers in Construction Month is an annual month designated to help increase public awareness of the opportunities available in construction trades professions. And whereas during this month, employers, associations, and schools are encouraged to conduct job fairs, panel discussions, discussions and local community events to inform students of the vast employment opportunities in construction. And whereas the construction industry is one of our nation's largest industries, employing more than 5 million in individuals in the United States, and whereas we're pleased to honor the construction trades professional and the critical role they play in the development of Iowa City, and whereas through a collaborative effort that reaches policymakers as well as local educators and high school students. Our goal is to effectively address some of the issues that have contributed to chronic labor shortage and misperceptions of careers in construction to develop a skilled workforce for the future. And whereas the NAHB student cha uh, char uh, chapters program is dedicated to enriching the educational experience of students by offering them firsthand exposure to the real world of the building industry through NAHB membership, educational programming and networking opportunities. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Teague, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim this month of October 2020 as Careers in Construction Month in Iowa City, Iowa, and urge all citizens to join me in this special observance. And we don't have anyone here to accept this proclamation today. We're going to move on to proclamation 2B, which is change your clock, change your batteries. Whereas the city of Iowa City is committed to ensuring the safety and security of all those living and visiting our city, and whereas fire is a serious public safety concern, both locally and nationally, and homes are the locations where people are at greatest risk from fire, whereas between the hours of 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. are the peak alarm times for fire deaths when people tend to be asleep, and whereas almost two-thirds of home fires in the United States resulted from fires in homes 
with inoperable smoke alarms or no smoke alarms. And whereas the designation of a special day to remind residents of Iowa City to change the batteries in their smoke alarms, time to coincide with the fall ritual of changing clocks would greatly diminish the chance of this tragedy occurring in Iowa City. And whereas smoke alarms should be replaced every 10 years, and whereas November 1st, 2020 is the day the citizens of Iowa City changed their clocks from daylight savings time to standard time. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Teague, Mayor of Iowa City, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim November 1st, 2020 to be change your clock, change your battery day. And Iowa City and urge all residents to change their smoke alarm batteries, install new smoke alarms where, where needed, and to replace smoke alarms if they are 10 years old or older. And here to receive this today is our Fire Marshal, Brian Greer. Well, good evening, I'm Mayor Teague and, and City Council. Thank you for your service. And, and you know, this is one of those things that we, you know, we really want to make sure that we have people with smoke alarms. As, as stated in there, it's really about three out of five home fire deaths result in properties with no or non-working smoke alarms. And two out of every five of non-working smoke alarms either are missing the batteries or they have them disconnected. So as we near the time to change our clocks back, we encourage you to change your batteries too. Whether it's a, a battery operated smoke alarm or a smoke alarm hooked into your electrical wiring that just has a battery backup, that's on Sunday, November 1st, we want to change the clock back an hour. And while we're doing that, let's change our batteries and our smoke alarms so we can all stay safe. Thank you for letting me, uh, um, having me on, on the council and, and I hope everybody stays safe. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to you and your dog <laughs> for your comments today. <laughs> Great, all right. And we are, um, going to, could I get a motion for the consent calendar, um, which is items three through eight? Um, can we pull out item 6E, please? I need to recuse myself on 6E. Okay. So then could I get a motion um, for, the, for the consent calendar uh, three through eight minus 6E? So moved, Can I get a second? Second, Saleh. All right, uh, seconded by Saleh. And then would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand and I will call upon you. And this would be addressing any item that is on the consent calendar um, with the exception of 6E. I do see one hand raised, oh, okay. I see no hand raised. Council discussion. Roll call, please. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Slee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item 6E, um, because we, I think we're going to have, um, Councilor Mims recruits herself at this point. Um, we'll 
call you when we're done with this item? I mean, unless you're okay, I don't. Is council just okay with her being in silent? But typically, they have to leave. Mayor, I think that should be okay. This item's going to take you about five seconds. All right. All right. Are, are we okay with that, counselors? Yes. Yes. No. We have one. We have one counselor not okay with it. I, I do think that if it's a if it's an item where a counselor is involved, we really should. That's fine. That I'll leave. I'll yeah. just leave. That's fine. Thank you. Awesome. And we'll we'll call you when we're done. All right. So can I get a motion for six um, E, please? I'll move, Taylor. Second, Thomas. All right. Uh, is there anyone in the public that would like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand. And 6E is Tamarack Ridge Subdivision. Um, seeing no one from the public raising their hand. And if you're on the phone again, uh, press start nine and I'll be able to call you by your number and you can identify yourself. Seeing no one, council discussion? Hearing none, roll call please. Lee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Motion passes six, um, six to zero with Councilor Mims recruiting herself. And if we can have someone contact Councilor Mims. Uh, yes. I'll get a hold of her. Thank you. Back. I'm back. She's back. All right, awesome, great. Item number nine is community come out, comment. And this is an opportunity for the community to address any topic that is not on the council agenda tonight. And I will call you if I see your hand raised. And again, if you're on the phone, press star nine. And we're gonna start with David, followed by Mariah. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council. Um, and thanks for uh, going over the listening post stuff during your work session. I uh, just wanna quickly respond to uh, what City Manager Fruin, uh, his summary. Um, I heard you say, I believe you said that, quote, the co-responder model is going to be necessary. Um, and I'm not sure where that sentiment comes from. Um, I was at all six of the listening events, and I didn't hear any, uh, any citizens say that. Um, the only people who were in support of the co-responder model uh, were police officers. So uh, the fact that you're following the police instead of the public when addressing issues of police violence, I hope, uh, I hope that's obvious how problematic that is. Um, and, and earlier you addressed uh, the question, you know, how do we boost your mobile crisis? And then uh, later you got into the idea of, of dispatch and 911 routing and all that stuff. And I think that's absolutely the answer. You know, that's, uh, that's what makes Cahoots very unique. And uh, that's what separates them from a lot of the others that uh, don't have as much reach or as much power, as much uh, longevity. Um, so, you know, if that is a long-term solution or answer, then, then that, that's okay. But I, I think we need to be moving in that direction, not just because that's what the community wants, but that's also what, uh, what 
we have in place here in terms of uh, organizational professionals in the community and what the research shows is functional. Um, and then to Councillor Mims' response to that, I think Councillor Mims, your response was uh, that more training and outreach are necessary to make sure that all of this goes through, if I, if I understood you correctly. And, um, you know, like IFR has been saying all along, um, you know, this is a question that Angela Davis recently responds to. And she says that by asking for more training and more outreach, that lacks the historical consciousness of the reality of policing in communities, especially in the United States. Um, training and outreach are what got us here. Training and outreach are what led to us having tear gas shot at us on June 3rd. Training and more training and more outreach for police is what led us to uh, what, what we saw in the news today with how ICPD treated that uh, black man from Chicago who was crossing the street in Iowa City. Um, so I, I just implore the city councilors to have that historical consciousness when they're calling for these types of changes. Um, but then I do want to lift up and totally support everything Councillor Thomas brought up. Um, the idea of you know doing some of that road infrastructure so that our roads become self-policing um, and looking at more options for the camera cameras. Um, I think the way Councillor Thomas framed that in the Black Lives Matter movement and in that language was spot on. And I think we should uh, follow that and pursue that as much as possible. All right, thank you all very much. Thank you. Myra followed by Amel. Hi, good evening. Um, so I would like to address the council um, on an item that was discussed last meeting. Um, so we at the, oh, sorry, um, my name is Myra Hernandez and I'm the um, community organizer at Center for Worker Justice. Um, and I just wanted to say, um, so we at the CWJ are really proud to be able to serve our community and those who are in need of assistance. Um, since March, we, along with other local nonprofit organizations, have shifted our organization. Oh, it is. No. Sorry. Um, somebody else was talking. Um, so March, we, along with other local nonprofit organizations, have shifted our organization's focus to help combat the COVID-19 pandemic and provide a relief to our members and the community as a whole. Um, and through our partnership with individual donors, um, national nonprofit organizations and the city and county, we have been able to ensure that emergency crisis funds have reached hundreds of the most economically vulnerable families in our community. The need for housing, utility, and food assistance has been intense, and the work of publicizing, explaining, administering, and translating applications, performing verifications, and arranging pay payments with vendors has placed an enormous strain on our small organization. Um, our staff and volunteers have regularly worked 12 to 14 hour days to meet the need. Uh, and we are committed to continuing to work diligently to sustain the important work. Um, so thank you for your recent offer to increase allowable administrative funding to help nonprofits with very small staff like ours manage this enormous task. And while we sincerely appreciate this recognition of the extensive organizational capacity that this relief effort requires, we decided to decline your offer in order to focus all available funds towards families in crisis. 
So on behalf of the community and the Center for Worker Justice, I thank you for your attention and support for our neighbors in this community whose lives have been appended by this global pandemic. Um, thank you. Thank you, Amel. Uh, Myra, and we're going to have a Mel followed by Cheryl. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Amel Ali. Um, I listened to the meeting a little bit ago, and I just wanted to... Um, comment on some of the things some of the council members said, uh, specifically when Janice was talking about um, the um, taillight situation. And I know that we already do have a program here um, that involves police pulling over someone. <clears throat> I think um, a good solution to that would be looking at nonprofits um, in those neighborhoods that um, may have lower income, like the neighborhood centers of Johnson County. Um, a lot of people who live in those neighborhoods tend to trust the people who work at their neighborhood centers. Um, so I would think that maybe something um, good to try would be to let them be kind of involved on it, whether it be, you know, having police come there without uniform and showing them how to change lights or things like that. But I think reaching out to community members and community leaders who already have the trust would probably be a good place to start. Um, and then also with the decriminalization of pot issue, I know that you guys had mentioned um, how important that is to bring up to your legislators. And I think that that is important. Um, and I know that there's only so much that you guys can do as council members, but I think um, a lot more pressure needs to be put on the prosecutors who are deciding to prosecute these mundane pot charges. Um, they're choosing to spend their time prosecuting these people. So I think that, you know, um, we kind of should look at that situation too. Um, and then the last thing, um, and David kind of brought this up and I kind of wanted to bring it up a little bit more. Um, he talked about the situation with Officer Neald pulling over a guy for jaywalking. Um, if you council members haven't watched the body cam video, I really think that you should. Um, it's, it's really awful. Um, and the fact that a federal judge said one of our police officers is not credible, not, and he still works for the force and now is a community outreach officer is insane. I don't know how we can talk about making um, relationships with the black community better and things like that when we have police officers like this in, in our city that are patrolling. Nothing, the city of Iowa City Police Department found nothing he did um, violated policy. So I think that that's also something that maybe you guys should think about when uh, it comes to the first draft of the policy changes that are due on December 15th. Because frankly, I think that an example needs to be made of this officer that this is unacceptable. Um, a federal judge has already said he's not credible how can we trust him to pull over and have a gun and patrol our streets? And not only that, he's now working through community outreach. It's just 
it's mind baffling. So um, I would encourage all of you council members to watch that video um, and the article from KCRG that came out because it is really disturbing and it's disheartening to know that this is just happening under everyone's nose and nothing is being done about it. Thank you. Thank you. We're gonna have Cheryl followed by Lucas. Hello, uh, good evening, Mayor uh, Teague and council members. This is Cheryl Miller and I'm with the Johnson Clean Energy District. Um, I'm here to update the council and the public at large about a solar energy project um, that is getting underway in Iowa City. Last April, this council decided that it would not go ahead with a solar energy project at Waterworks Park. That was a three megawatt solar energy uh, 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 project that was listed in the accelerated agenda of the city's climate action plan. Um, but there was strong opposition to the project because of the site that it was uh, located in a public park. And the council decided not to go ahead. And instead, a number of council members called for a pause and to step back and to look at many other options uh, that Iowa City could be considering um, for solar energy, whether it's rooftop to build on the uh, solarized Johnson County and do a lot more rooftop uh, solar or solar farms, community solar, uh, and uh, many, many different ideas, um, such as being generated in other parts of the country. So that was an exciting uh, idea to a number of us. And this summer, um, it inspired a conversation between myself and Craig Mosher, uh, the Johnson Clean Energy District, um, uh, wa uh, Warren McKenna of the Farmers Rural Electric uh, Cooperative, and David Osterberg of the Policy Project. The four of us sat down and just started thinking about what could a study of solar energy in Iowa City be like? We had a number of goals. Um, we wanted to accomplish, we wanted to be something that could be accomplished relatively quickly, um, relatively inexpensively. We wanted some strong technical information, but also a very strong public outreach component so that uh, what happened at Waterworks Park uh, last spring would not happen again. And we could really get back on track um, of, of, de of developing solar projects here in town. So we reached out to Johnson County and Iowa City staff and local officials. Uh, we talked to some experts. We talked to the University of Iowa uh, and various other st stakeholders and came up with a draft concept and a plan scope of work that um, we uh, that we think could accomplish um, uh, uh, our goals. Um, the different parts of this uh, study is to get a real good handle on what the energy loads in the city are, in the residential sector, in the business sector, in the industrial sector, to develop a map of the whole transmission and distribution infrastructure. Um, in the community and in the fringe area of Iowa City um, to start looking for optimal sites for, um, for 
on-site solar, that's rooftop solar on buildings, um, from some larger buildings, businesses, downtown, um, wherever. Um, and also to look for sites in the fringe areas uh, for utility scale solar farms um, and uh, community solar projects. We also thought that the study really needed to include information about um, the economic benefits, the environmental benefits, and the social equity benefits um, of a well-designed solar program for the community. We thought that um, it needed to present different financial models and partnership opportunities for developing projects and, and, and also the legal framework. We would like to see all of this analysis done. This is in, in cooperation with the university. Um, and we'd like at the end of the study to be able to come up with at least one um, three megawatt or larger project that could be uh, undertaken in the very near term so that we don't get too far behind in that schedule that uh, is laid out in the accelerated agenda. In August, we began meeting with the Climate Action Commission uh, and brought this idea of a collaborative study between Iowa City, Johnson County, the University, Mid-American Energy, and stakeholder groups um, together um, to conduct. They gave us very valuable insights um, and feedback on our proposal, and we made a number of changes. And then they recommended that the, this study proposal go forward to the council um, and the city manager's office for further action. So that's where we are right now. Um, we are working with the city manager's office, and I just wanted the uh, community to know that this is underway and that we will be pulling together the study team in the next uh, in the next month and uh, look forward to coming back and speaking to the council about it. Uh, Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Cheryl. Yes. All right. We're going to uh, go to Lucas, followed by Christina. And I'm going to ask that people keep their comments three to five minutes. I should have mentioned that in the beginning. Um, welcome, Lucas. You're still on mute. And while Lucas is on mute, and if there's anyone on the phone that would like to address council, please press nine, uh, star nine on your phone. We'll come back to Lucas. We'll go with uh, Christina Canganelli. Hello, Mayor. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Welcome. Thank you. I didn't realize I'd signed in as Christina. I all of a sudden feel like I'm in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. Um, so I just wanted to um, respond um, and, and acknowledge uh, City Manager Fruin's very thoughtful consideration given to the proposed responses and the attention given to you, the, thought, the fact that this needs to be a multi-pronged response going through the steps of prevent, prevention, diversion, response, and stabilization. And also uh, just advise extreme caution um, when the public and members of other coalitions begin to speak for providers, um, the providers can speak for themselves. Uh, we are very much in favor of a co-responder uh, situation, but also 
In very much in favor to the scenario that uh, city manager Fruin described in going through a continuum of responses. This is an incredibly um, layered and sophisticated uh, response that is required. It is an incredibly layered um, situation that we face in these kinds of responses. So, um, I just want to affirm again that the providers are very capable of speaking for themselves. They have spoken for themselves and um, we should not be co-opted in being named as um, anonymous providers have given feedback. We, we do not um, have a problem with naming ourselves and our, our positions in these situations. And uh, I, I again want to affirm that we are interested in evidence and data informed responses and interventions. And are very grateful for the support, the collegiality, the collaboration and the partnerships that we have throughout Johnson County. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I don't see Lucas anymore on here, but um, if for some reason Lucas do come back, will allow Lucas to speak if he raises his hand. Is there anyone else uh, from the public that would like to address council about anything not on the formal agenda? Seeing no one, thank you all for um, sharing today. Item number 10, planning its own matters, 10A, 305 and 315 East Prentice Street and 625 South Gilbert Street level two design review height bonus request. And could I get a motion to approve? So move, Mims. Second, Saleh. Moved by Mims, seconded by Saleh. And all right, we have staff presentation. Good evening, Mayor Council, Daniel Sisman, NDS. Um, the application for you tonight is submitted by Axiom Consultants on behalf of Capstone Communities, LLC. Uh, uh, Axiom and representatives from Collegiate and their architects are also with us this evening and will uh, like a chance to speak as well. I'm going to walk through this project briefly and give you the framework for the decision making and then let them give a more detailed presentation on their actual request if they choose to. Um, this request is for a level two design review for four additional stories of bonus height. For a new building to be constructed at the location shown out in the outline in white here on the screen. This is three parcels that they are planning to assemble into one for a development. It's located on the south side of Prentice Street, bounded by Ralston Creek on the west, and just in from South Gilbert Street on the east, and also by the uh, elevated railroad to the south. Um, my pre presentation is going to include several elements, and we'll walk through those for you. Um, just uh, to put this in the context of the development process highlighted in orange here on the screen is the stage that we're at tonight. This is located in the Riverfront Crossings Master Plan District, which was a process that the city went through in 2013 and then implement, implemented the form-based code to actually um, fulfill the ideals expressed in that plan. This particular property, as I said, uh, has been, is being assembled for development. It's gone through a rezoning uh, earlier uh, last year and also, um, as the three parcels span the different sub-districts within the riverfront crossings, those had to be altered and assembled as well. Um, level one design review has been performed by staff and completed recently. 
Um, because of the bonus height request uh, exceeding staff's authority, it has proceeded on to a level two design review. At the conclusion of the determination of the bonus height, there are some additional steps that would need to be um, undertaken in the development process, including planning, site planning, and building permitting. This plays out the process uh, in a, another way for your kind of review of how the process goes. On the left-hand side, is that same sequence of events uh, that I just explained, showing you where the bonus height request kind of pops over to a level one design review by staff. And then because of the extent of the request, pops over again to the right to a level two design review. Um, the bonus site request tonight is for four stories of bonus bonus site for a total of an eight-story multi-dwelling building. The total maximum height with the bonus in this district, that, the subdistrict that is located in, which is the Central Crossing subdistrict, is eight stories. It is subject to the discretionary review by City Council tonight. There are Proposing to achieve that bonus height using two of the criteria outlined in the form-based code that allow for bonus heights to be requested. Um, they're requesting one floor for a public art donation and the remainder of the floor is six through eight to be for leadership and energy and environmental design. Um, as I said, this property was rezoned and there are some conditions in the rezoning agreement itself having to do with access to the site. Um, they're shown on the screen some areas in blue, green, and hatched in black where uh, additional right-of-way or easements were requested. That still needs to be fulfilled as part of the planning process. There were some conditions for temporary construction easements for a city bridge project in the vicinity, and then uh, requirements for some basic Boston Creek Street like stabilization and removal of invasive species. So as I said, I'm going to go through the project description in general. And this is the current site plan. Uh, shown on the left-hand side of the screen is Wilson Creek, along the top is the north, uh, which is East Prentice Street. In the east, it's bounded by a private alley under ownership by others. And to the south, the elevated railroad, a slight bit of South Gilbert Street Clinton and so Southeast corner. The primary vehicle access to this building would be to, from the north off of East Prentice Street. Um, this is a cut through of the building looking from east to west with north on the right hand side of the screen and south on the left. The dark gray areas are the areas inside the building where structured parking would be located. Light gray is the outdoor rooftop courtyard spaces. Um, orange is the interior amenity lobby and missing office space. And green is the residential dwellings. So as you can see, the residential um, dwellings pick up on the third and subsequently higher floors and the other areas are located um, on the lower floors of the building. The proposed eight-story building would include 211 dwelling units with three levels of structured parking. On the top slide here is a view from the northwest with the southeast on Prentice Street. The, slide on the, the image on the bottom is the opposite view looking back through, through the building from South Gilbert Street. As I said, the non-residential areas of the building um, are located towards the ground floors um, and also on Pidgey Street. This is a table summarizing the required uh, amounts of parking um, and the provision of those, as well as common courtyards. They are um, providing no more parking than is necessary by code, uh, as well as the required bicycle parking. And they are exceeding the open space and the common courtyards um, space as well. Again, a little bit more for the project detail. Um, they're proposing two types of brick 
on the exterior metal mesh and a mesh parking screen, parking screen for the area of the building and the structure parking. Uh, several colors of fiber cement board about siding and fiber cement panel. The site is slightly sloping along the um, Belsley Creek and they've designed the terrace along the frontage of Prentice Street to address that sloping site. Um, as, as I said, it's also adjacent to the Ralston Creek and has a creek frontage and a floodplain. So the lower levels of the building uh, are sensitive to the flood proofing requirements that uh, the city will impose in those areas. As far as design review goes, there are several general design review prerequisites for any bonus site and then specific ones for the criteria that the applicant might use for additional bonus site. Um, the general design review criteria have to do with um, demonstrating excellence in building and site design, using high quality building materials, and designing the building in a manner that contributes to the quality and faith of the neighborhood. Uh, kind of going in reverse order on those, um, the building is, uh, as I said, located on the sloping site. Um, the applicant will likely walk you through the massive study again, showing how it blends with the neighborhood. The building does include a step, step back um, to uh, reduce its overall mass, uh, appearance of mass, and staff feels it fits within the context of the neighborhood. I've already walked you through materials a little bit. I'm speaking to um, excellence in building and site. Um, the city did adopt the climate action plan, as you're well aware, for a climate crisis. Um, so as to the excellence in building and site design, we've upped the game a little bit about what that means. And uh, having the past, we've incorporated conditions and other projects to express what we mean by that. We've carried those conditions through to this project as well. Um, and those include uh, three conditions that staff has recommended uh, be included in this application as well. To preview those, they have to do with the um, number of points being achieved in the lead new construction standard regarding optimized energy performance, so an improved energy performance um, provision. Second, the installation and maintenance of rooftop solar. Um, the applicant has studied the potential for rooftop solar and proposed 42,000 kilowatt hours annually uh, as appropriate for the shape of their roof. And third, the installation and maintenance of only low-flow plumbing fixtures in the residential units and common areas. Regarding the specific approval criteria that they're, they're asking for, the first one being public art, um, this is a financial contribution to the city's public art program, equal to 1% of a sum of the construction costs for the building as defined um, by our code. Funds are used by the city for public art within the Riverfront Crossings District, not necessarily on this site. However, the applicant has proposed that their site might be an appropriate area for that. Ultimately, that would be decided by the public art committee. Um, the applicant has agreed to make this contribution prior to the issues of the building permit. The second specific approval criteria regarding leadership and energy environmental design lead. Um, there are two potential ways to achieve this criteria. One is through energy efficiency, or alternatively, design uh, using best management practices to minimize stormwater runoff impacts or stream bank stabilization and restoration, specifically of Ralston Creek or the Iowa River. And those are expressed in the Formulas Code as um, ideals that we'd like to uh, fulfill. And that criteria does require a long term use plan. In this instance, the applicant is proposing to meet this um, uh, criteria by using that second stormwater um, proposal um, to satisfy the criteria using stormwater and stream restoration. 
Um, they have submitted a landscape plan, which has been reviewed by Parks and Recreation staff for its uh, components of landscaping materials as well as the Public Works Department for its overall design. Um, they have submitted a maintenance plan uh, to fulfill that landscaping. Um, in addition, there are some open spaces uh, that they've designed on the west side of their building between the building and Rawson Creek, which would be accessible to the public because of those access easements that are uh, required by the zoning agreement. Um, and they have, as I said, provided a landscape plan with a variety of plantings and um, the overall impact, as, as well as biospills, and the overall impact is a reduction in stormwater runoff from existing conditions. <clears throat> and as I mentioned, there are some rezoning conditions. Those will be fulfilled later, but um, we just wanted to review those as part of this project just to ensure that they were being um, incorporated in the over overall design to ensure their ability to uh, fulfill those obligations. The um, temporary construction easements have already been obtained and the city's bridge project is already under construction. And we've also begun <clears throat> the basic Boston Creek stabilization as part of that effort. So again, to come back to the slide where we're at, uh, again, this is the level two design review. Staff, um, based on the information provided by the applicant as, as I described, staff um, on the form-based code committee finds that the proposal meets the criteria to qualify for four stories up on the site and recommends approval subject to the three conditions that I mentioned earlier, having to do with the specific provision of energy efficiency in the lead program from a certain category, provision of the top solar modules and the installation of low flow fixtures. I think that concludes my staff report and I'd be happy to answer questions. As again, as I said, there are some additional panelists here tonight to uh, present as well. Well, look like you're getting away with no questions. All right. Would anyone from the public like to address this item? If so, please raise your hand and we ask that you keep your comments three to five minutes. If you're on the phone, press star nine. Mike Welsh, welcome. Thank you, Mayor Teague and, and Council. Uh, again, my, my name is Mike Welch. Uh, I'm with Axiom Consultants. And uh, tonight, I guess I would um, like to kind of walk you through a little presentation and thank Danielle for doing a nice job of um, summarizing the project and, and kind of getting us all um, back up to speed. It's been, it's been going on for, for a while now through, um, through the rezoning process and then through design review with staff. Um, so if we can go through that presentation, that would be great. Um, I'm not sure how to share my screen with you. Give me one second and I'll promote you to a panelist. All right, thank you, Kelly. All right, that's probably better. 
So um, as Daniel went through, um, I'm presenting on behalf of Capstone Collegiate Community um, in partnership with Niles Bolton Associates, the architect, and Loberbaum, McNair, and Associates is our landscape architect that's been assisting on the project. Um, I wanted to kind of just give you kind of at a glance um, just to look at, at the building and, and the features. So we have 211 units um, comprised of 266 bedrooms, primarily um, studio and one bedroom units with a couple two bedrooms and a few uh, three bedroom units. Um, as Danielle mentioned on the parking, we structured parking and we meet the, the code requirement. We have you know, two extra parking spots, but pretty ideally parked. And same thing, um, we're allowing for the, rec the required bicycle parking inside the building. And as we look at the exterior of the building, this view would be the facade north, so on Prentice Street, looking at the face of the building. Um, as Danielle mentioned, you know, we have the required 10-foot step back after the third floor, you know, a mix of materials on the building. I think the real important thing to recognize here is if you picture that site today, it's the old city electric site. Um, so there is one continuous curb cut along Prentice Street. This project will actually create that, that pedestrian space that starts on the corner of Prentice and Gilbert and continues down through uh, Ralston Creek and then up the hill to Dubuque Street, um, kind of getting that you know, meeting the requirements of, or the intent of the riverfront crossings code to, to create those pedestrian spaces. And that space continues around on the west side of the building as you enter the, the creek space. Here's kind of another view of that. So now we're on the northwest corner of the building and you can see um, that pedestrian plaza that we have on the front of the building and around the side and providing that access down Ralston Creek. And again, that step back continues around the corner. So, so although we're eight stories tall from the street, we kind of step that back. So we, we minimize that impact of the tall building. Again, here's the Northeast corner um, down the private alley that's owned by others. And again, you can see that step back and how we're kind of blending that, that in as you go across Prentice. And we are adding street trees in. Um, unlike this rendering shows and working with the city staff, uh, it was requested that those trees be between the curb and the sidewalk, so they'll kind of pull out to the street side and kind of shade shade the street and give that separation from the building and the street. Again, focus on that pedestrian experience as we walk down Prentice Street. Uh, here we are on Gilbert Street, the property. Because it's comprised, comprised of those three parcels, we do have a little bit of frontage on South Gilbert. Um, not shown in the rendering, but right here would be where the the bridges for the Iowa Interstate Railroad is right on the south side of this building. So here we do kind of have that storefront um, look and kind of more of a front and then the building does step back behind that again to, to accommodate for that additional height. Uh, here's the, the building in plan view. Um, and, and this is a aerial image taken uh, earlier or late last week. Um, so we can see the building at 225 East Prentice is in here now with their trail system on the west side of Ralston Creek, our proposed trail on the east side of Ralston Creek, which continues around behind the building out to South Gilbert. 
Um, again, focusing on that pedestrian experience. Uh, if you're a pedestrian and you're trying to go downtown, you don't need to go up the hill necessarily on Gilbert Street. You can get off a busy street and come back through this public space that we've created along Ralston Creek, between Ralston Creek and the building. Uh, we're proposing kind of a set of limestone stairs and, and plaza area again down at the on the bank of Ralston Creek. So that is kind of combined some of that stream bank stabilization and also again creating those opportunities for the public to interact with Ralston Creek or just the outdoor space for building occupants and the general public. Um, again this image is current so you can see the newly constructed culvert is in place and our sidewalk will just continue straight across that going west and match up to the on the east with the existing sidewalk and then right here is the entrance to the structured parking originally we looked at having that off the alley but with that alley being privately owned we were kind of forced to put that out on onto prentice street and have just one curb cut on prentice street Again, as we look at you know, the site plan, um, I think a really important thing to, to highlight here is that per the zoning code, we were required to have uh, 200 or 2,660 square feet of open space. Um, we've exceeded that in, by quite a bit. If we look at the conforming public occupied open space, uh, that space, that 4,871 square feet, that meets all the code criteria. So there's some minimum dimensions to avoid just having small unusable public spaces. Um, but in addition to that public space with the, the three courtyards and the space alongside the west side of the building in Ralston Creek, you know, we have more than half an acre of, of open space that's, and most of it is, is large open spaces. And I think that's a really important feature of this design in the site. Um, as Danielle alluded to, you know, we're asking for eight stories of, of height bonus or eight stories for four stories of height bonus um, and that sounds really tall um, this site is kind of uniquely situated in that we're down in Ralston Creek and uh, South Gilbert Street and Dubuque Street are both quite a bit higher than where we are um, so we put this graphic together during rezoning and I think it's important to revisit it um, this just shows our building is shown in red and then we had some of the adjacent buildings. So the 601 South Gilbert Street is the building immediately east. Uh, the mansion is, a, is on the corner of Prentice and South Gilbert. Um, 225 Prentice Street is the building directly west of us. And then 620 Dubuque Street is on the corner. And if you look and compare that, our building is, even though it's eight stories, is only six feet higher than the 620 South Dubuque Street. And then obviously, if we look at it compared to the rise, it, doesn't compare at all with the rise being further up the hill and a taller building. Um, but all that to say that this building really does um, fit the space well and is a, a nice space to use that, that bonus height. Uh, again, Danielle alluded to the massing studies that we did. Um, in a picture on the left, we are looking, we're at the corner of Dubuque Street in Prentice. Here's the, the sixth or the, yeah, the 620 Dubuque Street building I alluded to. Um, the gray building that's shown here is 225 East Prentice, which was just completed this past year. And then the white building is a representation of, of our project. And you kind of can see from that, that view, it doesn't, it doesn't stick out and it, it does blend in. Similarly, if we turn 
to the intersection of Dubuque, or I'm sorry, of South Gilbert and East Prentice. You can see our building here. And in this one, we don't show the step back in that massing. So that piece will even step back further. But again, it, it seems to fit in well with its surroundings. The other parts I, I would like to, I think are really important to, to touch upon and, and kind of talk through are those items that Danielle alluded to that we're applying for the height bonus with. Um, as she mentioned, we're looking at the public art contribution, the 1% of the threshold value of the project. But in addition to that, and probably more importantly for the community, is are the, the leadership in energy and environmental design and the Ralston Creek improvements that we're pursuing. Um, we're looking at three floors of bonus height with those. So we felt it was very important to um, not just check the box, but actually um, kind of meet, think about those men and for the community and, and how we take this project and meet those for the city. Um, the big part of it is that Ralston Creek component, um, stabilizing the banks of Ralston Creek, removing the invasive species that are there, and not just taking that out and rip wrapping it, but coming back in with a, a landscape plan that actually creates, um, again, public space that people want to use and potentially some habitat or opportunities to interact with Ralston Creek. Um, the project as designed also eliminates um, or reduces the impervious area that's on the site currently. So um, without doing bioswales and without rooftop courtyards, we've, we've shrunk the footprint of impervious area just as it is. And then kind of going above and beyond that with the addition of bioswales on the west side of the building um, in the areas that are outside of the floodplain and the addition of the rooftop courtyards with, with some green roof components on two of those courtyards. Um, we're again, kind of going above and beyond that, that basic requirement for, for the building. Uh, in addition, as we alluded to, a uh, requirement from Public Works was access to the, there's a manhole for a trunk sewer on the southwest corner of the building or just off the southwest corner of the building. So we have an access easement for Public Works to maintain that sewer on the south side of the building and the west side of the building. Um, we're working on that to, to do it as a six foot sidewalk and then with a grass paved system on either side of that. So uh, we, we meet the criteria for a 15 foot wide vehicular access, but also um, kind of soften that a bit with using that grass paved system. So again, the pedestrian experience is, is kind of a nicer experience. Um, on the, the west wall of the building facing the creek, we have the parking structure on the first three levels. Uh, we're looking at, at creating kind of a green wall in front of that parking structure with some climbing vines or other plant material, again, to kind of soften that building and that facade with the idea of that the, for the people along Ralston Creek or even the neighbor to the, on the west side of the creek, when they look at the building, they it kind of softens that look and gives a better visual. Um, on the building efficiency side of things, um, as, as was uh, discussed previously, uh, we are committed to low flow fixtures in the building and working with staff. And then you know, just so everyone knows, a low flow fixture is a fixture that is, exceeds code requirements by 20%. Um, so that would be in lavatories and toilets and urinals primarily. Um, and looking at other spots to do that. Our mechanical system and design will be kind of coordinated to reduce our energy demand. 
we'll be looking at networking closely with the architect and again, the, me the mechanical team um, to develop an efficient building skin. So we look at reducing heat loss through the building, reducing heat gain, um, and kind of going above and beyond what code would require for that. And then as we discussed, the solar on the roof, we're committed to that 42,000 kilowatt hours annually. And uh, that actually will, the, the use on the house meter will, will be covered by that solar, I should say some of the house meter electric will be covered by that solar on the building. Um, that's an, a good opportunity for us to do that there. And I think that um, really kind of hits the highlights of the, the building. So I would welcome any questions that anyone on council has at this time. I have, I have a question related to the parking. <clears throat> and it would be if we had a, uh, if we did not have a minimum parking requirement, what would your supply of parking been less than what you're showing now? Um, yes, right now we are, if we compare number of beds to parking spaces, we're at about 50% parked. Um, in talking with the development team on a project like this and this locate this proximity to campus and downtown, we in other markets, we would probably be closer to 30% parked. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Would anyone from the public like to address this item? If so, please raise your hand and I will call upon you. Please keep your comments three to five minutes. Seeing no one and if you're on the phone again, just press start nine. Council discussion. Uh, I'll go ahead. Um, they are requesting bonus height uh, for leadership and energy design. And, and I'm pleased to see the plans uh, to qualify for this bonus are uh, by utilizing the LED silver standards, rooftop solar, which is very exciting, low flow fixtures, as well as an awareness of stormwater runoff uh, utilizing green features and landscape plans that uh, include trees, John probably likes that, uh, and improvements along Ralston Creek, which should be very nice. That's uh, been a long neglected creek area. Uh, my hope is though that they don't skimp on other energy efficiency kinds of items when it uh, comes to using such things as like LED lights, I encourage that, and uh, efficient appliances. Uh, I will support this resolution. Uh, however, I have to admit um, that it, it was, uh, I was disappointed that it was billed as student housing. Uh, although uh, there is some need for student housing, uh, I would like to ask all the area developers uh, out there, uh, when are we going to uh, see you bring to the table products that are offered as affordable to lower income persons and small families? Uh, this is what our community really desperately needs right now. Uh, but then I, I am in favor of, of this resolution and would approve of the height bonus. I'll support this when we talked about it um, in the past. I think the location 
um, kind of down in that dip uh, really helps kind of ameliorate the height of this. Um, things that Pauline said about energy efficiencies, et cetera, um, and the art money, I'm glad to see those in terms of getting the bonus height. And uh, just kind of as an aside to Pauline's comment, um, the problem is building the affordable housing that you're mentioning, Pauline, is not particularly profitable. So I, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see developers doing that on their own. It's, it's going to take that public money to help do that. Uh, new construction is very expensive, and it's understandable that they're looking to make a profit on what they're building. But I think this is, is a good location, um, and again, good location for that particular height. So I'll support it. I'm going to be supporting it as well. Uh, you know, my question um, regarding the parking, I, I think it, it just speaks to me how we still I, I, I hope we can look at this a little bit more carefully because uh, you know the the height of the building. If we if we had been able to reduce the parking requirement, that would have brought the building height down. It also would have significantly reduced the cost of the project, which would have addressed the. Ultimately, those those costs are passed on to the. You know, to the the occupants. So, if if there's a, any way in which we can reduce construction costs, that can result in a, a lower rent uh, for the units. Um, <clears throat> I am quite pleased with the development of Ralston Creek. I think this is one, in my recollection, one of the more developed plans for access to the creek. And uh, as was noted in the presentation, it's sort of in an interesting location because it provides an opportunity to use that alternative pedestrian way as a, an opportunity to avoid climbing the hill on Gilbert uh, or cut making a, a cut through if you're coming from Prentice over to Gilbert heading south. So I think there's some interesting pedestrian opportunities that this developed creekway uh, will provide in that particular area. Uh, also pleased to see the as he noted, the, the street trees are truly now street trees because they're between the sidewalk and the curb. Um, <clears throat> so there were a number of moves, uh, large and small, I think, with the landscape component of this project, uh, which, which I think elevated considerably. I'm also supportive of this project with staff's uh, additional recommendations that were set forth and am grateful to have at least, I think, been in on one of the decisions that, that set those criteria for a prior project. So it wasn't all new to me as a new counselor. Um, but since I, I wasn't here for the rezoning portion, um, I don't know if this is a question more for staff or for the applicant, but the, the Riverfront Crossings District, um, probably at the rezoning stage, or I think in the conditional zoning agreement, it references the requirement for affordable housing. Um, do we have a sense yet, maybe if the applicant knows what if they'll be selecting on-site versus the, the fee in lieu that would be allowed? I can start. Um, I can't speak for the applicant, but they do still have the option to choose and they will not have to execute that agreement till they get closer to a building permit. They can answer for themselves what they're considering at this point.
So we'll we'll have Mike answer that one question, please. Yeah, so um, at this time, that decision has not been made as to whether that will be fee and lieu or, or um, provided on site. Thank you. All right, any other comments, counselors? So I'm gonna be supporting this project. Of course, we deliberated on this quite a bit uh, when we were going through the rezoning. The one thing I, I have a question about the forty-two thousand uh, kilowatts for the solar. How how much energy does that provide, or how many? What's the what are we looking at? Mayor, I, I would defer to Mike to answer that one. If you're looking for you know, how many households would have power for a year kind of equivalent, I, I think it would be best to answer that. Okay. And Mike, we'll have you answer that, please. Okay. Yeah, so this is where um, I'll, I'll have to admit uh, that as a civil engineer, I only took one circuits class. And so um, on a specific number of you know households or what that equivalent would be, I don't really have a, a number for you. We can get that um, for council and, and come back with that number if you need it. Um, it is only uh, for the, the projected demand of the house meters, that would be the, the amenity spaces, the hallways, the parking structure. Um, it is only a, a portion of that usage. And that number was kind of determined um, looking at the available space on the roof. Once we allow for um, like edge setbacks, so the fire department needs space to get up on the roof. And then there's mechanical units, the heating and cooling units will be on the roof. Um, so we kind of did the solar based on what was left um, for usable space on the roof. And that's kind of how we got to that, that number. Thank you. I would imagine that is not a, you know, is not a great impact on, um, but there are some other things, the conditional agreements that I think are great. Uh, it was mentioned about the parking, um, you know, in this area parking probably is less um, needed, especially when we're considering um, it being a walkable city. Um, and so um, I will support this project. And even though I understand that um, it costs a lot of money for affordable housing to be in a new development, um, I would also reiterate the importance of allowing um, individuals that that would qualify to be um, uh, in, in this building if they do choose to allow uh, and not take the fee in lieu of, the, 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 the opportunity that people have to be in that space is much more valuable, in my own opinion, than any fee in lieu of. So that's what I would encourage you all to do, is to actually, actually allow students to experience um, 
living in this building and not doing the fee in lieu of, but I will support it. Hearing no other comments. Roll call, please. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item 11, sludge tank masonry repair. Resolution of approving project manual and estimate of cost for the construction of the sludge storage tank masonry repair project, establishing amount of bid security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notices to bidders and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'm gonna open the public hearing. Staff presentation, please. Hello? We can hear you. Hi, yeah, I'm, this is Ben Clark from um, the Engineering Division, and I'm here to talk about the Masonry Repair Project. So for those of you that don't know, our uh, wastewater treatment plant is on the far south edge of town, right next to Kicker Soccer Park. This is a 2017 image of the wastewater treatment facility. And very generally speaking here, this is our, uh, our headworks. So that's where uh, wastewater is pumped up into the plant. The, the influent pump station is about three or four stories deep. We're going to have a project next year to replace an influent screen, and we can talk more about that next year. Um, generally speaking, these clarifiers separate the liquid stream from the solid stream. Liquids are treated over here. Solids are treated over here in our digester complex. And this is where our project's gonna be. So zooming in on our digester complex, again, very generally speaking, our, our uh, solids, or we call them sludge at this stage, they flow from the east to the west. We heat them up to about 130 degrees in these tanks, cool them down to around 100 degrees, and that kills all the pathogens. And then we, we store them in this sludge storage tank and that's kind of a holding tank until we can press them. We can press the sludge and we turn it into a cake that then gets field applied. But our issue here today is with the sludge storage tank. And one thing to notice here is that the cover on this tank is a little bit different than the other covers. It's a pretty lightweight aluminum dome. And we can look a little bit more at that. So last, last February, we noticed that the, the bricks started to fail. And what had happened was the aluminum dome and had some flashing on it that was leaking. It was allowing moisture back behind the, the brick facade. And we also had a problem with drainage that the water that was getting behind there wasn't draining out. So we had a, a failure on the brick wall. And I'll go to the next picture. This is this is what it looks like today. I know this, this looks a little crazy, but most of this came down by staff. Staff pulled it down so it wouldn't fall down on anyone. So this project will uh, completely rebuild the brick facade on this tank. Pretty straightforward. The one, the two things we're going to do to prevent that from happening again is we're going to put a 
a, a cavity wall flashing and it might be a little hard to see here but there's a there's going to be a little bit of flashing here and it's going to be sealed and that'll keep the moisture from getting behind the brick wall and then we'll make sure we have good drainage through the brick and behind the brick so pretty straightforward project are there any questions I think you're getting away with no questions. All right. All right. Thank you. Would anyone from the, the public like to address council? Address this item. If so, please raise your hand. And if you're on the phone, press star nine and I'll call you. Saying no one, I'm going to close the public hearing. Could I get a motion to approve? So moved, Sally. Second, Taylor. Moved by Sally, seconded by Taylor. Council discussion. Roll call, please. Taylor. Taylor. Yes. Teague. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Weiner. Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salih? Yes. Motion passes, seven to zero. Item 12, amend water collection ordinance, fiscal year 20. Ordinance amend in Title Three: city finances, taxation and fees, chapter four, schedule of fees, rates, charges, bonds, fines and penalties, section three in Title potable water use and service of the city code to increase or change water service charges and fees in Iowa City, Iowa and amending Title 16 entitled Public Works, Chapter 3A entitled General Provisions, Section 5, 6, and 7 entitled Establishing City Utility Accounts, Deposits Required, Billing and Collection Procedures, Delinquent Accounts and Discontinuation and Restoration of Service to make delinquent account collection fees and procedures more equitable and just. Can I get a motion to pass and adopt? So move, Thomas. Second, Taylor. Moved by Thomas, seconded by Taylor. Public discussion. Is there anyone that would like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand. And if you're on the phone, press star nine. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Teague. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Weiner. Yes. Fergus. Yes. Mims. Yes. Salee. No. Taylor. Yes. Motion passes six to one. Item 13, taxi company's number of required vehicles Ordinance amending Title V entitled Business and License Regulations, Chapter 2 entitled Taxi Cabs to decrease the number of required vehicles from four to two. This is second consideration. Staff has requested an expedited action. Can I get a motion to waive second consideration? Yeah, sorry, I had to unmute myself and I had <laughs> minimized my screen. So I 
couldn't see myself. Um, I move that the rule requiring that ordinances must be considered and waived on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration vote be waived and the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second, Taylor. All right. So um, is there anyone from the public that would like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand. And if you're on the phone, press star nine. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Slee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes, motion passed to seven to zero. Could I get a motion to pass and adopt? So moved. Second. Moved by Mim, seconded by Weiner. Um, public discussion, is there anyone that would like to address this topic? Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item 14, short-term rentals. Ordinance amending Title 17 and Title Building and Housing Chapter 5 and Title Housing Code to provide rental permit requirements for short-term rental properties. This is second consideration. Staff has requested an expedited action. I move that the rule requiring that ordinances must be considered and voted on for passage at two council meetings prior to the meeting at which it is to be finally passed be suspended, that the second consideration and vote be waived and that the ordinance be voted on for final passage at this time. Second, Taylor. Okay, would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand or press star nine. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Burgess? Yes. Hams? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Could I get a motion to pass and adopt? So move, Saleh. Second, Mims. Is there anyone from the public that would like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand or press start night on the phone. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Motion passed to seven to zero. Item 15, fiscal year 20, annual action plan amendment number two. Resolution approving amendment number two to Iowa City's fiscal year 20 annual action plan. Could I get a motion to approve? So move, Saleh. Second, Weiner. All right, do we have staff presentation? Hi, this is Tracy Hyshu, Neighborhood Development Services. Um, this is an amendment. This is your third round of CARES Act funding that is coming to us. As you recall, the first round and the second round we are dedicating 60% to eviction or foreclosure prevention. 
um, 40% to nonprofit relief for them to respond to COVID. So the third round, which is for 424,128, we propose to use as a small business assistance program. We are working with our economic development partners to develop that program. This would provide the amendment that we need to send to HUD to get approval so we can enter agreement for these funds. And then we can develop that program, choose a program administrator, and then proceed with um, that economic development assistance to nonprofits, or sorry, to, for small businesses. We have had HCDC, the Housing Community Development Commission review. They reviewed it. The only comment we received are the ones from Maria. And then at the meeting, HCDC basically, if the money was to be used for a small business assistance program, they wanted their comments were that they wanted to ensure the business provided livable wages and benefits. There's a there's a preference for minority-owned businesses, and that there was a preference for micro enterprises as well. So those were the the commission's comments, um, and so now it goes to you for consideration. And I'm here for any questions if you have them. I do have questions about the livable wages. Um, that's just a recommendation, but that's not a requirement that you that is in place right now. Is that correct? No, there's no there's no federal requirement that would require that. That would have to be a local decision. Okay. I think one of the, uh, of course, we would love livable wages to be the criterion, but um, some of the, you know, businesses that we're hoping to be a part of this, such as the um, BIPOC population, if, if small business owners, uh, they may not be at the level where they, you know, are paying livable wages and livable wages to me or across the country typically means $15 or more. Um, and I think that that will limit some of the individuals that would benefit from this. So um, I wouldn't be supportive of that part of it. Um, I just wanted to just make that statement because it will, in my opinion, omit some people that really could benefit from this opportunity. No more comments, thank you. All right, thank you. Yes, is there anyone from the public that would like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand or on the phone, press star nine. All right, council discussion. I actually do have a quick question for staff, sorry. <laughs> um, in the, I think I may just be missing something, but in the proposed amendment, there's kind of like the table and um, it says estimated number and type of families that will benefit from the activities. And it says an estimated two businesses will be assisted with at least one new job created or retained for 20,000. Is that, am I missing something there? <laughs> um, that's probably a typo, but is at minimum, I think um, it was getting at how much money per assistance you have to provide for FTE, maybe a federal requirement. We are anticipating that out of uh, 424,000, we probably assist about 27 businesses. Um, now, micro enterprises, we can determine if we're going to have a preference category. We can have preferences for BIPOC businesses, businesses who have not received any prior federal state assistance. So we do an estimate about if we have, we've been we debating, we've been talking to some of, like I said, our economic development partners. We probably provide up to $10,000 for 
businesses that have no employees, their micro enterprises up to 15,000 for those businesses that have less than 25 employees with sales of $1 million or less, and they, they could get assistance if they have employees up to 15,000. So we're estimating 27 to 30 businesses that we'd be able to assist with these funds. Thank you. And I must say, it's much easier to talk to you guys when you're, we don't have a 10 second delay. <laughs> that part's nice. All right. All right. No more comments for you. Any other council uh, items? No? Roll call, please. Salih? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion passed to seven to zero. Could I get a motion to accept correspondence? So move, Saleh. Second, Taylor. Roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salih? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item 16, assessment schedule. Resolution adopting an assessment schedule of unpaid mowing, cleanup of property, snow removal, sidewalk repair, and stop box repair charges and directing the city clerk to, to certify the same to the Johnson County Treasurer for collection in the same manner as property taxes. Could I, and actually um, the prop, well, could I get a motion to approve with the exception of 1131 Third Avenue, 203 Oberlin Street and 1902 Cat, Kathleen Drive to remove and defer to the November 2nd meeting. So moved, Mims. Second, Weiner. Okay. Um, is there any questions for us? Well, that's the motion to um, do that. Are there any questions for, uh, for staff from the council on any of the items that were listed? And, and maybe there's staff that wants to present. The only thing I would say is just as a reminder to council is the reason those properties were removed is because we have received um, correspondence objecting to them. And what our process is, is to move them to the next um, council meeting. So giving them notice that that's when they'll be um, able to present and, and then staff can respond as well. Great. All right. Would anyone from the public like to address this topic? Seeing and hearing no one. Council discussion? Roll call, please. Taylor? Taylor? You're, you're on mute. Yes. yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salih? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Could I get a motion to accept correspondence? Move, Saleh. Second, Mims. 
And roll call, please. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Moving on to items 17, council appointments. 17A, Planning and Zoning Commission. There's one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2021. And this is the only one that we have today to make a decision on, uh, should we uh, get to a, con uh, a majority. Uh, so council discussion. I'd like to suggest uh, Chrissy Canganelli. Um, as I looked through this list, the way that I eliminated some was um, we already have a couple of retired folks on here. We already have a couple of realtors on here. So I was looking for people who didn't, individual who didn't fit in either of those categories. So we have broader representation across the community. Um, and then when I looked at the remaining individuals um, and looked at their experiences and skill sets that they bring to the table, um, I thought Chrissy's application was very compelling. I would like to suggest um, Maggie Elliott. And um, the, I, I heard that you just mentioned uh, retired and I, I believe that we have three retired individuals because I, I did look at who was at the table um, and you're exactly correct. There are some realtors. Um, I think there's two realtors, um, two retired individuals, one executive director. Um, so I, I really looked at this uh, very intently and looked at the applications and even um, had two conversations with uh, individuals just uh, um, that reached out, of course, but um, just to look at this and and I, I really suggest Maggie Elliott. Um, when I do look at all the applicants, I do believe um, even though she's retired when I spoke to her and even um, just the the thoughtfulness and and how she wishes to engage with the planning and zoning. And uh, one key thing that I really appreciated um, in the conversation that I have with her, and that is really listening and looking at what are the codes, um, of course, recognizing when there are some biases um, or opinions um, and taking that into consideration and making sure that um, what they're tasked to do is really look at um, what is allowed, what is really kind of um, uh, choice, you know, suggested by staff and, and make, um, you know, make some uh, recommendations to the council from there. And so I really appreciated the opportunity and the thought process that she would bring um, as a voice that I wouldn't say that she's an expert by uh, any means when it comes down to um, uh, the things of our, of our PNZ, except I believe her eagerness to learn uh, a fresh eye uh, on a lot of levels is something that I, I think we would really appreciate being present. Well, I'm, I'm gonna give my support uh, to Susan's uh, recommendation, Chrissy uh, Canganelli. 
she does have a background in um, urban and regional planning and um, you know, having served on PNZ, it, it really is a challenging assignment. So having some background in, in the work that is done on PNZ, I think helps uh, anyone serving on that commission to be able to contribute uh, in a more um, rapid fashion, so to speak. But I think what really uh, struck me in her application was uh, mentioning the fact that she's experienced with and, and deeply values working with others to build consensus. Um, I, you know, that I hold that value very dearly uh, to my heart. I think it's extremely important as it relates to how we plan and zone Iowa City. So that, that certainly uh, suggested that uh, she, she would be well, we would be well served to have her on the commission. I um, certainly uh, appreciate uh, both Susan and John's recommendation of, of Chrissy. And I, I, I do admire Chrissy for the work that she uh, does with the shelter house. Uh, but I do have concerns that, especially now during uh, we're continuing the COVID crisis and continuing to have folks that, that need uh, her services and her help. Uh, I think that uh, she kind of has her plate full. Uh, and I, I I agree with the mayor on um, Maggie Elliott. The one thing I liked, uh, did like and appreciate about Maggie was that uh, she reached out to me by phone uh, to talk to me as she may have done others of you on the council too. And I appreciate that call because I believe that it's an indication of, of an applicant's true interest uh, in the position uh, when they actually reach out and make contact. And, and we had a, a very nice uh, discussion about why she would like to serve on that. And so uh, I, I would like to see uh, Maggie Elliott. I support Maggie too because I think she have uh, she's retired. She have more time, as uh, Council Taylor said, and she can serve. So, Janice and Laura to say what they want to say, but I, I think for I think for council members to judge who has time and who doesn't have time is inappropriate. I think people can make she, that judgment for themselves. I can say whatever I want to say, Susan. Ma'am, she is retired. She has more time. She can serve. Um, I, I was actually just going to say something, uh, something similar to what Councillor Mims just said. I'm not going to prejudge people's time because it's often the busiest people who manage to, to make time for a whole variety of things. Um, there, there are a couple of things that. Um, I've come to appreciate about Chrissy Canganelli over the years, one of which is that um, she understands what it is to deal with NIMBYism. Uh, and I think that's, sort of, that's a really important skill to have when you're dealing with PNZ. Uh, and also the need to look, essentially to look outside the box um, at what variances may be useful or necessary in order to create different um, and new uses that are valuable to the community. Well, as I reviewed the applications, both Maggie and, and Chrissy um, 
looked good to me. So I really hate to be the, the decider. Um, Maggie did reach out to me um, and I know her. Um, we both serve on a nonprofit board, 5224 Good um, together. And um, I know Chrissy, of course, from her work at, at Shelter House. So coin flip. Uh, I don't think you froze. I see your mic is muted. Uh, sorry, Mayor. I recommended we flip a coin. Okay. <laughs> well, it is legal. Well, we we can flip a coin for uh, Laura's vote. We're not right. flipping a coin for the council. If 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 Laura wants to flip a coin for her vote, we can do that. Sure. I didn't actually know that that was an option, um, but that would be a great way to, to get out of making that decision. I would appreciate it. That's what you got the votes for, is to make the votes. Um, just, I, you'll have to flip the coin, Laura, for yourself, is what I'm saying. No, that's, <laughs> okay, I, I apologize. I don't mean to be wasting people's time. Um, I would go with Maggie Elliott. Okay. All right. So we have um, uh, four for Maggie Elliott, and that is um, the majority. Um, and could I, so we're going to, could I get a motion to appoint Maggie Elliott to PNZ? So move. Second, Taylor. Roll call, please, or discussion. I th think we just finished that, but we'll do roll call, please. Thomas. Uh, yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Ems? Yes. Lee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item 18, announcement yes. of vacancy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I just make a quick comment that uh, I would encourage Chrissy to uh, can keep her application in there. I mean, there's always positions opening up again, and, 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 and within the next year, there'll be positions again. Uh, and I think she really would be great on there, but uh, uh, just, just remind people that uh, the application process will come up again. That's true. Item number, item number 18, announcement of vacancies previous, ad hoc truth and reconciliation commission, nine vacancies, nine vacancies um, term effective upon appointment, June 30th, 2020 through uh, June 30th, 2022. Appointment zoning, airport zoning, board of adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term, January 1st, 2021 through December 31st, 2025. Board of adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term, Board of Appeals, licensed electrician, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Climate Action Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Human Rights Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Parks and Recreation Commission, two vacancies to fill a four-year term. Public Art and Public Art Advisory Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Senior Center Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. 
applicant applications will must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. Public Art Advisory Committee at large, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term. Application must be received by 5 p.m. October 27th, 2020. Historic Preservation Commission, East College Street, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, Northside, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, Woodlawn, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term. Telecommunications Commission, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Vacancies will remain open until filled. And then we're at item number 19, which is UIG, UISG. And I think I saw Ryan. And we had Anna on earlier. Yes, I had to be on uh, an, an election forum thing for a class. Um, so I had to miss the work session earlier. But um, uh, just uh, really only one thing tonight. And I think um, that's just to say uh, to encourage people to please vote. Um, early voting is happening this week um, in the IMU and the Iowa Public Library. Um, and you're able to vote at these satellite um, voting locations uh, if you're not able to make it to your um, polling place or if you haven't voted by absentee by mail. Um, so just want to encourage all students, it's really easy to vote. Um, you can change your registration right at the polls. Um, so please go vote and stay safe. That's all from me tonight. Great. All right. We're at item number 20, City Council information and updates. So um, just jump in there wherever you want to give an update. I'll start then. Uh, we had a joint entities meeting yesterday. Uh, it was very brief, uh, but I uh, had a lot of good information. It was uh, very interesting to learn what an eponym is. Uh, it, apparently it defines a uh, a person after whom a place is named. And you've hopefully been following in the news because in this case, uh, the term refers to Dr. Lulu Merle Johnson, who was apparently the first black person to receive a PhD at the University of Iowa. So I, I believe the Board of Supervisors found a very fitting person to have behind the Johnson County name. So that's something to look forward to and hear more about. Uh, it was also great to hear and see the GuideLink Center uh, update given by Matt Miller, uh, who is the project manager. It's coming right along. I believe he said it's about 80% uh, finished and should be able to open up in the planned date, January, February. And that's so exciting. That's, that's going to be, it's a much needed service uh, that we have. Um, last Thursday, I attended the ribbon cutting ceremony for the newly renovated Highlander Hotel. I believe the owner's name is Angela, and I want to applaud what she's done to maintain the iconic nature of the original Highlander, uh, which has been a part of Iowa City since 1967. That's a long time to be a fixture of the town. Uh, many of us have a lot of great memories of the Highlander. Uh, she incorporated a large green space courtyard that's been added, and the renovated pool area is really beautiful. Um, these are tough times to be starting a business, uh, which is technically what she's doing. Uh, and they are accepting guests now, so I encourage people to stay there. 
and uh, I wish them well in that endeavor. Uh, so I also would encourage people to stop by there and, and see for yourself the transformation of it, because it's, it's truly remarkable uh, what she's done to, to renovate that building. Um, let's see here. Oh, yes. And just a reminder of uh, the other ribbon cutting ceremony coming up. It was brought up earlier uh, about the uh, South District Neighborhood Mural Project. Uh, remind you again, if, if you haven't seen it, also drive by there to look at take a look at that. Uh, 4,400 square feet of mural that was painted by the residents of that neighborhood. Uh, it's, it's very colorful, very beautiful. Uh, and again, the event is from 3.30 to 5 o'clock this Friday, October 23rd, uh, outside the Faith Academy, 1030 Cross Park Avenue. Uh, you're encouraged to park at the Pepwood Plaza uh, parking lot and please wear masks. That's all. I just to add to Ryan's um, uh, uh, ask, asking folks to vote. You can also vote at the um, at the from your car uh, through up through the day before election day uh, in the parking structure next to the county HHS building. I have kind of a light uh, item to bring up, and that is uh, at least for me. Um, the, uh, the football season is about to start. The uh, Hawkeyes will be playing uh, this coming Saturday uh, against Purdue. And the starting quarterback uh, for the Iowa Hawkeyes is Spencer Petrus. And as it turns out, Spencer went to the same high school that I went to in um, Marin County, California. Uh, so it's kind of a curious thing that uh, Iowa City has the two of us here doing our work in Iowa City. And um, I wish uh, Spencer best of luck uh, as well as to the whole team. All right, well, I wanted to just mention that this past Saturday, uh, the Iowa Latino Hall of Fame uh, took place for their 2020 induction ceremony and we are very fortunate to have someone that um, is here locally. Uh, actually, they live in Washington, I believe. But um, during this Hall of Fame, uh, the induction of Gabriela Riviera uh, was inducted. She's a University of Iowa employee who has started several initiatives to recruit, mentor, and sponsor underrepresented populations uh, in business. So we want to thank Gabriella uh, for all that she's done. I actually was able to attend virtually um, and was really moved by some of the words that she said about her interactions and in, um, in advocacy. And I know that she did some shout outs to uh, CWJ as well as some other organizations locally. Um, and was really impressed with uh, her leadership. And certainly it really, um, her, her words resonated where you just knew that this induction was something that uh, was well-deserved. So wanted to give another shout out to her and say congratulations. All right, hearing no more comments from council then we will hear from our city manager. Any updates? Updates tonight, Mayor. Our assistant city manager. Nothing from me, thank you. Our city attorney. Nothing from me, Mayor, thanks. 
City Clerk Kelly, who's always in the background doing stuff. Nothing from me. <laughs> all right. Thanks for all of your technical assistance today. <laughs> all right. Could I get a motion to adjourn? No move. Second, Taylor. All right. All in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? We are adjourned. Have a good evening, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.